0: God's healing power is a beautiful display of His own graciousness. Graciousness to people who experience life here below, suffering under the curse. The curse God placed on this planet was an example of His justice. His healing power is an example of His mercy. And aren't we so grateful For His mercy. Scripture often celebrates and accentuates the kindness of God to heal His own people. To Israel, God promised Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 30 and verse 2 says, O Lord my God, I cry to You for help, and you healed me. Under the old covenant, God promised the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. There hasn't been one day this year that I have been without pain, sometimes debilitating pain. And yes, it's due to a disease, a disease I cannot control. So this subject of healing matters very much to me. Unfortunately, too often the subject of miraculous healing is hotly debated, either by those who want to deny the supernatural Or by those who don't pay close enough attention to the purpose and the circumstances of the healings that are done in Scripture. I am well aware that there's a lot of controversy over the subject of healing. Some view other believers as limiting God because they don't believe everyone's going to be healed all the time. And others view the healers as deceptive or as being sensational. People become quite defensive of their own views rather than listening carefully to Scripture. So I invite you along with me to listen to God this morning as He speaks to us in Scripture about this tender subject. Whereas we must always rightly understand the Scripture, remember that the topic of healing is more than a doctrinal issue. For many people, it is quite personal, for they live in a world of weakness. They live in a world of constant hurt. And their relationship with God can be affected when God delays to heal or God chooses not at all to heal. And they often want to know why they were not healed and someone else was or if they should expect a healing in the future. Does God ever have a good purpose for sickness or is suffering always from the devil? The simple truth, of course, is that healing is a beautiful thing and I hope you look upon it that way. It is beautiful, but it's not guaranteed to every believer in this present age. Like any other subject, the Lord wants us to pay close attention to His Word, not just to what a popular and um, more charismatically gifted kind of preacher might say. If your theology could be boiled down to, God God wants me well, but Satan wants me sick, then... You have only read one strand of Bible verses, but not all of the verses that pertain to God's will in relation to sickness and healing. If you want to know God's will, and I know that I do, you need to be more holistic in your approach. For example, God warned in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 12, I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Wow, so God actually looked at an idolatrous nation, an entire nation, and he said sometimes he would, he would smite them with diseases, whole groups of people. But that was in the Old Testament, right? God doesn't do that in the New Testament. Well, what about Acts chapter 12 and verse 23? That says, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck King Herod because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. So God struck him, and he was eaten by worms. I can't think of a worse way to die. The truth is that God both heals and God causes many sicknesses. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us. But He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. That's what the Lord does. He's on both sides of the equation. Many times, God is said to have an involvement with disease, <clears throat> either by directly causing the disease or by sickness, which is the natural consequence of the warning that He gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Well, you don't get to death until you first get to disease. Disease leads to death. It leads to the weakening of our bodies. Not all sicknesses are caused by the devil. Many are. That's true. Many of them are. In Job chapters 1 and 2, that's an obvious example. Job's boils on his skin were directly an affliction from the evil one, it says. In Acts 10.38, Peter healed all those who were, quote, oppressed by the devil. So you had a whole bunch of people that had sicknesses because they were oppressed by the devil. In Luke 13, 16, it says a woman was bound by Satan for 18 years before Jesus healed her. But there is also verses like Genesis chapter 12 and verse 17 that says God struck Pharaoh's house with ailment. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, It says that God closed Hannah's womb. God did that. Numbers 12, verses 1 through 15. Moses' sister Miriam was struck with what? Do you remember? Leprosy, right? And it was the Lord that did that in judgment. Often the Lord would send diseases among the camp of even His own people, the nation of Israel, for their disobedience. Yet I would say this also. If you doubt God's power... And if you try to limit the Lord our God and regularly doubt the healing power of God, in other words, you pray for someone to be healed, but as you're praying for them, you think, ah, he's probably not going to do it, then you may think that your doctrine is astute, but in truth, your understanding of the power of God is limited. It's sorely deficient. For in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, the angel said to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Something that's impossible, put God in the equation, now it's no longer impossible. You got it? That's the kind of math I like. When the disciples could not heal a boy who kept throwing himself into a fire, and then they came to Jesus and said, why were we not able to heal him? Jesus responded in Matthew 17, 20, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So praise God for healing. It is possible. Healing is possible. Healing is a gift from God. But healing is not automatic. Healing is not guaranteed because Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Our spiritual healing is guaranteed because of that. Ultimately, our body's healing through the resurrection from the dead is guaranteed by that. By His wounds, we were healed. But not every illness in the present day, that's not guaranteed by God. In order to have a more mature understanding of this doctrine of healing, it takes study. It takes discernment. And today, and God willing, next Sunday, we're going to encounter two beautiful healing accounts in the book of Acts. Each healing account yields... Some understanding about God and how his miracles worked and why they worked. We're going to pull some truths out of each account. We're going to glean uh, various truths about healing from each account. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 and we'll ve- read verses 32 through 43. Acts 9, verses 32 through 43. <clears throat> Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose And went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, He presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Two beautiful accounts, aren't they? The first beautiful healing account is in verses 32 through 35. Look back there and focus now on verse 32, if you would. It says, now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Acts, hasn't it? So let's get our bearings straight. We left off in the earlier part of chapter 9 of Acts with Paul making his way to Jerusalem and meeting Peter for the very first time through the uh, assistance of Barnabas. Having followed Paul since his conversion on the road to Damascus, Luke, remember he's the writer of the book of Acts, is now flipping back and he's beginning to concentrate on the apostle Peter and his journeys again. We knew that Peter did not flee Jerusalem after the persecution that broke out there, but that did not mean that Peter stayed in Jerusalem all the time. Here, Luke records a short trip that Peter made. In fact, one commentator calls it a, quote, church preaching and visitation tour. So where did Peter go? Well, he went to Lydda. In the Old Testament, that city was called Lod, L-O-D. It's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 12. Lydda is located on the road from Jerusalem up to Joppa. It's about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, and it's situated in the plain there, the plain of Sharon. Well, how did the church up there get started that there were believers up there? The answer is we are not told. But we know this was the same area that Philip earlier had traveled through, according to Acts chapter 8 and verse 40, near the coast of the Mediterranean. And so it's probable that these saints here in Lydda were converted by Philip's preaching. Now we go to verse 33. There, Peter found a man named Aeneas, that's how it's pronounced in Greek, who had been bedridden eight years. Can you imagine that? Bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Now it doesn't say how he got paralyzed, but we know it was bad because he was bedridden eight years, right? Right? Now, as part of the preaching tour, Peter continued to do what he had done before, way back in chapter 3, we saw it, when he healed the lame man at the temple. He provided healings to complement his preaching ministry. And what would that do? It would bring attention to the gospel. And so here we arrive at our first truth about healing. I said we were going to look at these healings and we were going to pull out truths from them about healing. Here is the first truth. If you want to jot it down, go ahead. Healing was done indiscriminately. Healing was done indiscriminately. What does that mean? That means that God would heal anybody, not just super saints, not just people who were the most obedient or who had the strongest faith. Now, I think that's important for us to understand about healing because God is not a respecter of persons. Our Lord does not use his power just to heal the wealthy. He does not look for qualifications inside the person that he wants to heal. He can heal believers. He can heal unbelievers. Now, this man named Aeneas, it's not specifically told that he was a believer. In fact, we know nothing of his qualifications. Therefore, he does not appear to be anybody all that important. And I like that. He's just a normal guy, and so God healed him. Well, he may have been a believer because Luke indicates that Peter came to the saints at Lydda and he found Aeneas, Aeneas, but maybe he was a believer, maybe he isn't. We don't know for sure. However, if you study healings in the New Testament locations, you'll find out that sometimes unbelievers were indeed healed. And that really should not surprise us because it's true. For example, there was a lame man by a pool in Jerusalem, in John chapter 5, verse 2 and following, who was not a disciple of Jesus. And as far as we know, his only qualification to be healed was that he was a lame man. In fact, after Christ healed him, Christ had to go to him and warn him not to do anything worse and not to keep going on sinning lest anything worse would happen to him. So we're not even sure he was a believer at all even afterwards. In Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 12, there's an amazing record of healing there. It says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried away from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Well, how much faith does it take to realize that the last 25 people that touched this handkerchief got healed instantly Therefore, all I have to do is reach out and touch it as well, and I will be healed. It doesn't take saving faith to understand that. The way Luke words it, it sounds like people from the entire community there were being healed, not just from the believers. One very obvious example of unbelievers being healed is in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. There, there were 10 lepers. You remember what leprosy was, this terrible, incurable skin disease. And Jesus healed all 10 of them. And how many of them turned back to give thanks to him? Do you remember? Just one. The other nine showed no appreciation at all. That's the indication of an unbeliever, someone who takes from God and never shows any thanks. Why is this first truth about healing so important? Because it is not faith per se that heals us. Faith is simply the conduit that God sometimes uses to bring healing to us. But the active power is not faith, but is God. God is the healer, not faith. Jesus was not a faith healer. He was a divine healer. And there is a difference. It's not by psychological trick. It is by divine power. God's power heals. And He can heal anybody He wants to heal, even an unbeliever. And by the way, people should not put others on a guilt trip if they don't get healed. Ah, you're not healed because you didn't have enough faith. And we should not put on a pedestal someone who did get healed. People that have prayed for my healing, I thank them for it. And I do want to be healed. But I remind them that being healed is not a reward, going to heaven is a reward. So I just think we don't think properly about that. If I don't get healed, I obviously get healed in a different way. And the Lord, the Lord will have me enter into glory, and I can't think of anything better than that. Nothing, nothing against you guys, but the saints, the saints above will be a little nicer. <laughs> and so we should look forward to our upward call in Christ, right? Not moving forward in any of these verses, but still extracting the second truth about healing. It stems from verses 32 and 33, and that's this. And again, you can jot it down if you want. New Testament healing is done largely by the apostles. New New Testament healings were done largely by the apostles. Peter did this healing, right? And Peter was an apostle. The same was true back in Acts chapter 3 with a layman. In fact, if you were to take the time to trek through the entire book of Acts, you would see that all of the healing was done by apostles or their immediate associates. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 3, it records this Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Who were they? The answer is apostles. Paul promoted his qualifications as an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 where he wrote, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Now, if someone who was not an apostle could do all of the same signs and wonders and miracles that an apostle could do, how could they possibly be signs that a true apostle was working? Also Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 4 says, God was also testifying with the apostles, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to God's own will. Listen, to be an apostle of Jesus, you had to be hand-selected by Jesus, and you had to be an eyewitness of His bodily resurrection, which obviously nobody today can be. You had to have seen the resurrected Jesus in the first century so that you could bear witness historically to the truth of Christianity as it began in the first century. Aeneas was not the only believer living in that region, yet none of the other believers came to Aeneas who was paralyzed, none of the other believers who I'm sure were spirit filled and were born again, none of them in that region came to him and healed him. Why not? Because it took an apostle like Peter traveling to his area to use the gift that God had limited and given to the apostles, and that is there to heal him. A lot of people have the misconception that the New Testament was a miracle-working church. The truth is that the New Testament was a church exactly like ours, but it had miracle-working apostles in it. The average guys and the elders and all of that were not miracle workers. And that means being a believer or being a saint or being a child of God does not, listen, does not automatically qualify you to be a healer. I've heard some people say, but I'm a child of God. I should be able to ask my Father in heaven anything. That's true, but the Father has chosen to give the gift of healing only to some. And here in Acts, it is given to the apostles and those around them. I recently had a very kind brother in Christ come to my home, and I was laying down, and he laid his hands on me, and he prayed very fervently for the healing of my cancer. His prayer sounded as if he believed that he had authority over the disease, over the cancer, and he literally cursed the cancer and prayed that it would go away. And I was very blessed by his fervency and by his love. He had love towards me and my family. And though I was very blessed by his love and his zeal, he obviously did not have power over the cancer because I still got it. What many don't realize is that even in New Testament times, the gift of healing was restricted to very few. Those who were prophets and apostles who were advancing new revelation from God had to be authenticated by something miraculous so people could see God was truly giving a new message. Once that message was authenticated by miracles, it didn't need to keep being authenticated. Well, here we go with the third truth about healing, and that is this. Sometimes healing was sought after, but other times healing was brought to a person. Let me say that again. Sometimes people went seeking a healing, but other times they weren't seeking for a healing. It was brought to them. You may recall the paralytic who was let down through the roof uh, you remember how they broke apart the roof and they lowered the paralytic where, into a house where Jesus was teaching? You remember that story? And Jesus healed him, right? Well, there's an example where a guy was really seeking a healing. I mean, they ripped apart a whole roof to try to get this healing, right? Or you may remember the Syrophoenician woman who begged Jesus, please heal my daughter of an evil spirit in Mark chapter 7, Verse 26. Or in the Old Testament, you may remember a guy named Naaman who came to Israel seeking a healing from Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 5. That happened. But on the other hand, the lame man in Acts chapter 3 did not seek a healing from Peter and John. He just got healed because he happened to be sitting at the right gate at the right time when Peter and John came through. And Peter and John said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene. Walk. And he gave him the gift of health, right? What did that guy want? He wanted silver and gold. What did he get? He got legs that worked. (laughs) I'll take that any day. And here it says that Peter found Aeneas. He found him. This truth about healing I think is important because it shows that we should be suspicious about all of these staged healing services where everything has to be just right and there's people that do stuff behind and something in the ear and the audience is wow and falling over and clearly what is in control there is not people's rational nature but their emotional nature. The suspicion is not directed against the power of God but it's directed at the show they're putting on. If someone genuinely had the gift of healing, he should be able to take his show and travel, and travel and go to the hospital where no one is seeking a healing, and heal them as well. Take his show on the road and find some people, but they don't do that, of course, because they have to have certain setting so that they can do the smoke and mirrors and make it seem like someone is getting healed. Well, here's a fourth truth about healing. And that is this, God's healings are organic, not psychological. Let me read that again. God's healings are organic, not psychological. Look again at the last part of verse 33. It says that, so often what is claimed when someone said, I got healed nowadays, is not something that we can observe. It's not something that's measurable by a doctor. Someone claims to have back pain, and I do have back pain right now, or they claim to have a headache, you may have a headache now, or they have constant fatigue. I have no doubt that God sometimes answers prayers and removes pains like that, and praise be to God for doing that, right? Getting rid of the pain is great. It's a true blessing from God, but the proof of a healing ministry in the early church did not flow from hidden or subtle healings. They went after the toughest cases, and they healed them. This guy was bedridden eight years. That phrase actually indicates he was laying prostrate on his bed for eight years. How terrible. Well, he must have had many helpers and many caregivers who would have been very impressed when they saw him walking. In Peter's next healing... It will focus on a woman who had actually died. How do you fix that? Well, when a paralytic gets up and walks or a dead person rises from the dead, there's no doubt there's a true organic healing that has happened and God's power is at work. You can't prove a healing objectively if it doesn't have an organic basis. You can claim it, and it may be true, but you can't prove it. God's healing ministry always had provable healings because their purpose went beyond caring for the sick. It went beyond that to being a sign for others as well. And we'll talk more about that later. Now we move on to verse 34 if you look at it. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. I wonder how Peter said that, don't you? There's this guy, he's been in bed for eight years. Peter knows of the power of God. He's got confidence, you know. He doesn't feel he's going to swing and strike out. He, he just looks at this guy and says, Jesus Christ heals you. Wow, that's just amazing. Well, here's a fifth truth, and that is the power for healing is, and it's right there, everybody should be able to pass this quiz, is, is who? Jesus Christ, right? The power of healing is Jesus Christ. Notice how this miracle of healing is recorded. Peter first addresses the man, then he makes it clear Jesus Christ heals you. The power source cannot be mistaken, it is Jesus Christ. No one cursed the sickness. No one drummed up an emotional worship service. No one sat there praying for about 30 minutes, trying to build up all the emotion because my prayer is so powerful. Listen to it, you know. In fact, Peter didn't even pray. If you notice, you don't need a powerful prayer. You need a powerful person. Jesus Christ is a powerful person. And so he just said, Jesus Christ heals you. Present tense, right now, heals you. The source of the power was not Peter. The source of the power was not a magical incantation, you know, like Simon Magus would have wanted to do. It was not even the faith of Aeneas himself. The power was the person of Jesus Christ who has already proven how powerful he is by raising himself from the dead. That power, the power of Jesus, the person of Jesus is still working inside of his church and we should never doubt his power. The fact that Peter states it in the present tense that shows Jesus is active and working right now in his church, I don't know if you remember the beginning of the book of Acts, it, it began this whole book with the things that Jesus began to do and teach, referring back to the gospel of Luke, giving the impression that even though Jesus went to heaven, everything that happens in the book of Acts is still Jesus continuing to do and preach. Well, here he's doing something. He's healing someone through Peter, and it's the work of Jesus. So also we see the sixth truth, and that, that is this, if you're still jotting them down, healing is instant. Healing is instant. Verse 34, notice how quickly he was healed. The last part of verse 34 says, immediately, euthios, that means immediately. He was healed. Immediately he got up. When God performs a miraculous healing, there is no such thing, listen, there is no such thing as a gradual miraculous healing. There are a couple of instances in the Bible where the healing was briefly delayed by a few minutes, such as Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26, or John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But never was the healing delayed by days or by weeks. By far, the vast majority of healings were instant. I have heard people claim that God healed them and they say they're just waiting now for the symptoms to disappear. That is not how God operates. God is not a trickster. God doesn't want us to believe in a mirage. When he heals, he does it. He does it immediately. Don't let anyone tell you, you have been healed. Go home, and if you have enough faith those symptoms will go away. That puts people in a bind, a guilty bind, that it doesn't take a lot of faith to be healed. It doesn't take any faith in some circumstances to be healed. That's phony baloney. And I hope that you don't suffer from that. There are people that have suffered from that message. And there may be people that really believe that and they believe that they're, they're trusting in the power of God and they believe they're doing the Lord's work. They may not understand these... Uh, consequences. But one of those consequences is they make people feel guilty when they shouldn't be feeling guilty. Now, here's a seventh truth, also in verse 34 towards the end, and that is that healing is complete, not partial. Healing is complete, not partial. Peter told the man to get up. There's was a man that was bedridden eight years. And what happened? Waited five days, and then he finally got up. No, it says he got up. Well, that shows us that all the sickness that held him down was gone. He could have said, you know, Aeneas, I hope you're starting to feel better now. He didn't. He said, get up. Because if you get up, then we'll know that everything that held you down has been what? Healed, right? Whatever it was, whatever complications there were, God removed them. None of the sickness of that debilitating condition continued on. It was not a partial healing. It was not half of the symptoms. It was not an easing of the symptoms. Healing from God means that it's true, it's complete. You don't have to worry, well, what happens in a week if it comes back? What happens in a month if the same disease comes back? What happens if there's a year from now and I can't get a hold of an apostle? Obviously, as these same people grew older, They would invariably contract other diseases, right? And they would eventually die from one of those other diseases. But God, from this disease, healed them completely. I don't know if you remember the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in in Matthew chapter 8, where she had a fever and Jesus healed her. It says she immediately got up and was completely healed. And because of that, she was able to serve Everybody in her home. And I imagine if she's a woman that loved serving their guests, she was so happy to be healed. She didn't go out and do something selfish. She realized that that healing was to give her strength to go and to serve the people in her home, and so she got busy doing that. Well, last we see the effect of this miracle, and that's in verse 35 if you look at it. It says, And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, that is Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. That's conversion. They turned to the Lord. That leads us to the eighth truth about healing. Healing is a sign used to authenticate Christian revelation. That's important. Write that down. Healing is a sign used to authenticate Christian revelation. We see that very clearly here. When the news of this man's healing spread, it was evident, it was organic, it was immediate, it was permanent, it was supernatural, so the people started talking about it. It was more than impressive. It was miraculous. Yes, the ancients knew the difference between something that was impressive and something that was miraculous. It brought immediate attention to who? Peter. Who's Peter? An apostle of Jesus Christ. What was he tasked with doing? Giving the New Testament revelation to the world. In other words, the healing served as a signpost, pointing to a man, Peter, Not to a group of people, but to Peter. And when John did his healings, the signs pointed at him. And when Paul did his healing, the sign pointed at him. It pointed to these apostles. So when they preached the new truth, the Old Testament Jews, they would understand this really is new revelation from God because it's backed up by miracles. And the Gentiles would be impressed with this and say, clearly this must be a message from above. And it needed that authentication when it was getting started. And so it got it. Peter had the gift of healing. And because he had the gift of healing, all eyes were turned toward him. And all ears were tuned to his message. And that is why healings are regularly called signs in the New Testament. Signs. Think about that. What's a sign? Sign hopefully points to something, right? So you don't get lost. It's a sign pointing to a messenger. Listen to his message. The healing was not just to care for the sick person. Its purpose was bigger than that. It had a broader meaning. In John 6 and verse 2, it says, A large crowd followed Jesus. Why? Because they saw the signs which Jesus was performing on those who were sick. Why follow Jesus? Because he healed. He healed, start following him and listen to him. That was the point. John 7, verse 31, many of the crowd believed in Jesus, and they were saying, when the Messiah comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? In other words, can you ever envision a Messiah showing up in Israel and performing a greater number of miracles than Jesus did? And they're like, man, this guy's knocked the ball out of the park. He's he's done thousands of miracles in every township that there is across Israel. Nobody can beat that. And so they said, we have to believe in him. We have to believe in him because of that. You know, when Jesus was doing those miracles, the healing miracles and the signs in nature, he was giving them little glimpses of the power of the kingdom age that was still to come. He was telling the Jews, Jews, repent. Repent of your sin and turn and believe in me because I'm the king and the kingdom of God is drawn near to you. And he said, if you want proof of the kingdom and you want proof that I'm king, here's a miracle. And they saw it. And if they were true in their heart, they would have said, that's what Moses told us to look for. This must be the, mo- the one. This must be the one great prophet. Look at the signs. And when Jesus commissioned his apostles They first went to the Jews, and he gave them this power, continue to do these miracles. Do it not just in Israel, but do it in the diaspora, in all of the synagogues. The Jews will see the miracles, and they will realize the fulfillment of the kingdom. Time has come near. And of course, uh, the Jews rejected that message by and large, and so we, the Gentiles, have been the beneficiaries of that as well. But the signs were signs pointing to the power of a kingdom age that had not yet come. And that's why they were particularly prolific during the time when Christ and the apostles were there on earth. Listen, the Christian message when it was getting started needed confirmation and healings were one of the ways that that message was confirmed. Now the sign, nature, of these miracles... It's so important we're going to pick up with this very truth next time when we look at Dorcas being raised from the dead. The fact that it's a sign, the fact that it's a powerful statement that points beyond the act itself to some other truth is something we can't miss. We have to see it as a sign pointing to truth, and then we understand why God was doing so many of those miracles in the New Testament in the first century. And so hopefully next time when we come back to this passage, we'll pick up with that very point, but we're going to end uh, here now. I'm going to pray now for the conclusion of our message, and as I pray, the men that serve uh, for the Lord's Supper will, will come forward as I pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful you are merciful to your people. Ultimately, always you will be merciful to every believer, for you indeed have taken away and wiped away every one of our sins. And if not in this life, in the next life, you will heal us. You will give us a perfectly healthy, strong, capable body that will never grow old and never get sick again. And we know you are our healer. And we trust that if there are times that you have a purpose for us to suffer, some, that we can trust you still as a merciful and loving Gracious and wise God, thank you for leaving us this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, that we may sit at this supper as brothers and sisters in Christ, equal with one another at your table, and adore you for being a loving Savior that you are towards us. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.